Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl 
to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR-3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Up next, we've got a prior Navy guy coming on, telling some of his stories from the Caribbean, Adriatic Sea, land shore duty. These stories are a blast, and I loved every bit of it. So please welcome our next guest, U.S. Navy rescue swimmer, Mr. Jason Vaughn. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I've got with me a Navy rescue swimmer. What's up there, Mr. Navy? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, we share the same name, so we'll just go from there. So, Jason, I, you Jason. know what? I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Mr. Jason Vaughn, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I am. If I was any better, you and I'd be sitting around drinking beers together. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yeah, well, all I got is coffee. So, we'll yeah, coffee I'm going to go with tea. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, bud. I, listen, thank you so much for coming and joining me. Um, you know, like we've been in contact for a little bit, just kind of bouncing stories off each other. And, man, this, this is going to be fun. So, you're actually the first. Well, not, you're not the first Navy rescue swimmer guy I've had on. Like we had the boys from Lemoore and uh, Lemoore Air Force, and they did their killer rescue on the mountain. But one on one, this, this you're, you're my number one. You're my first guy. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I, I cannot top the mountain rescue, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna start there. I think I told you earlier when we were just doing you know some banter that uh, I'm here for comedy relief. Right? That's that's gonna be uh, my history in the Navy. I need a lot of that. I, I'm all... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what, Jason, if you don't mind, just uh, give a little background about who you are and how you got into the Navy. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Sure, man. So, uh, so I technically shouldn't have been a rescue swimmer. So, Oh, that's was, always uh, fun. When I was in boot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I, I grew up in really small, like, farm you know, farm type towns, uh, rural areas. So there wasn't a lot of, uh, of swim time, right. You could maybe hit a Creek or whatever, but anyway, so, you know, joined up, picked, uh, in the Navy, it's called AW and, uh, and wanted to go to rescue swimmer school. I had some knowledge previous to that of kind of what the program was. So, so anyway, so I joined up and it came, uh, I went to sunny Orlando for boot camp. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but that's where I went. And it oh. came, if you're going into rescue swimmer school as part of the pipeline, you had to pass a second class swim test. So basically they take the people out of the company and in boot camp, they take you over to the pool, throw you in the pool. You have to swim. I think it was basically four different strokes and Basically, you swim the length of the pool doing crawl. You swim the length of the pool doing side, brass ride, you know, that kind of thing. And so I got in and I started swimming the crawl. And the guy goes, switch. And I 
stopped in the water and looked at it. I had no idea what the side stroke, breaststroke, right? That's kind of crap. I can crawl all day long, right? Doggy paddle, crawl, it didn't matter. So, so and he looked at me and said, get out of this. And I, I, I like I said, I, I promised I would censor myself, but he said, uh, get out of the, you know, fill in the blank pool. And I'm like, okay. So I got out of the pool and he said, uh, you fail. Handed me a piece of paper and off I went. So I got back to my company and my company commander said, uh, well, you're going to have to pick a new rate. I'm like, I don't want a new rate, right? I mean, that's, this is what I signed up for. And he goes, well, you, you couldn't pass the test. So anyway, it was his last company. And I guess he decided to have a heart something. I'm not sure. But anyway. Oh, so he, what a nice uh, guy. Yeah, right? Yeah. So he comes out of his office, yells. And I came over there and he said, uh, does anybody in the company know how to do the side stroke, the breast stroke, right? All these other strokes. And this one guy, uh, still stay in touch with him, you know, through social media and stuff today. But anyway, he actually knew how to do these different strokes. So on a wool blanket in the uh, barracks, he was teaching me how to swim, basically. So, and then I went back. I'm not kidding, man. Uh, all right. Yeah, and you got to paint that picture a little more on a wool blanket in the barracks. So you're um, on the floor yeah. or what? Yeah. Yeah, man. Laid out a wool blanket on the floor and, uh, and I'll just, uh, his name's Mark. Um, but he, uh, he was also going to be an AW, although he went on to, uh, to be a fixed winger. So he didn't, uh, didn't go sorry, but anyway, he taught me how to swim and, uh, and I went back the next day and took my second class swim test. And, and of course I passed obviously, cause here I am today on your show. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but so that's where it started for me. And, oh my uh, God. Then it, then of course went to uh, went to Pensacola and you know went through SAR school. I was a broken class. I went uh, the first two weeks of SAR in Pensacola. I went uh, at the end of December. You know, it's like the, was the beginning of December. I guess the first couple of weeks broke for two weeks, and that was the best and worst two weeks of my life because you basically are in SAR school, and we all know how arduous SAR school is. So yeah. you got two weeks off in the in the middle of SAR school. So if you picture what you did for that two weeks, you went home, you ate, you got fat, you got uh -huh. stupid, right? And then you come back and you have your last two weeks of SAR school, of which I think the first day we started out with a, a nine mile fun run. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, and it was oh. basically so we could all throw up, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Welcome back. So anyway, that is my uh, that is my storied past of like I said. That I told you there'd be a couple keywords in here. That was the first one, which is failure. And uh, so I, I learned real quick that uh, you don't get a lot of shots, right? Once you fail, you fail, and uh, and there's no like do overs. I, I was lucky. I was fortunate. God bless the uh, the company commander that gave me a second shot, pulled whatever strings he had to. But uh, but anyway, so here I am. So got through SAR school, went on to our uh, technical training and I landed in uh, Mayport, Florida at uh, HSL 42, which no longer exists. Now I'm obviously a, an older guy. My uh, period of service was 89 to 98. I did like wow. eight years, 363 days. I think I was just short of nine years. Wow. That is incredible. I think I love the fact that you learned how to swim on a wool blanket on a floor versus an actual pool and then they're like ah just throw him in the pool hey look he passed okay let's keep going right. what <laughs> yeah there's there's hope for you yet kids you don't have just, to know how to swim to uh, actually do this job 
not a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, was he like pulling the blanket like down the barracks hallway as you're trying to like do your strokes? <laughs> No, it's it's hard to it's you know you just you're like laying on your stomach right and, and you're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know the the push out and, and learning the frog kicks and everything else and you know fortunately like I said I don't know where the hell he learned because he was from a small town in like Kansas I think his graduating high school class was eleven people or something like so, so I don't know if he happened to be on a swim team and it was uh. just him or, or how it worked out but uh, we never really talked about how he knew how to do the strokes, but no, I mean, it was literally just laying on a folded up blanket and you know, you're just laying there and you're picking the apples for the yeah. stroke. Right. And yeah. putting them in the basket. So <laughs> yeah, like I said, it was just, it was a really crazy weird way to, uh, to kind of start my career in, oh uh, my in gosh. the rescue swimmer community. But, I, that is awesome. That is, that, made, that just made my day right there. <laughs> Um, so real quick, because you said you said AW and uh, it's aviation warfare. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'd have to look it up as to what they call it now. They still call it AW, but it was uh, okay. Yeah, aviation warfare systems operator. Ah, I got you. AW the actual title. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And that's so for everybody out there that doesn't know, that's the same as us for AST, aviation survival technician. It's the reading initials basically the, the short version part of it, right? Yeah, we, we get codes um, that are, they're called NECs, Naval Enlisted Enlistment Codes. So AW, well, now it means a myriad of things. You could be a, uh, a jet mechanic, right? A jet engine mechanic and have the designation of AW if you fly. Oh. So basically it took anybody that was, anybody that was air crew and they made them AW. But when I was in, AW was a rating to its own and we were rescue swimmers was one of our missions, right? So we were rescue swimmers, but we were also uh, door gunners, anti-submarine warfare over the horizon targeting. Um, geez, uh, we were talking about vertical replenishment. We, we would do just about anything and you would switch depending on where you were. And I think one of, one of the rescues that we talk about coming up, is going to kind of paint that picture of yeah. one minute you're one minute you're out hunting a submarine and the next minute you're actually you know in the middle of a search and rescue yeah so it, it's kind of a you just have to be able to flip on a dime which is awesome yeah and i i like that i kind of do that now but not to that extent um you know i could be out doing you know a basic hoists to a, a big tanker uh nothing crazy like just putting people in and out um and the next thing you know oh sorry alarm goes off and or a medevac happens and you're diverted to reconfigure the aircraft and gone so i i totally understand that one so nice um so your two-week break in school so we had kind of the same thing in our in our time going through so i can very much relate to you on that <laughs> We, uh, we had like a, we ended up being there over Christmas. So they're like, yeah, you guys have to take Christmas break. And I was like, oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. Not sweet. We came back. <laughs> and, uh, we had our ass handed to us when we got back. I remember like, like I, I think they even pulled me out of the pool. That was just, it was not a good day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And it was cold. It was, you know, it was, it's Pensacola. I don't care what anybody says. Florida this morning, right now, it's like 27 degrees in North Florida. So oh, yeah, people, that's cool. uh, 
yeah, a joke, but the uh, the Pensacola Bay was in the uh, the fifties, and you know the air t- or ambient air temp was I think God, it was probably in the forties, and then the water temp was somewhere in the fifties, and we were swimming our bay swims, and it was just flipping cold, right? I mean, it's just like this is miserable crap. Why couldn't I go in August, right? August in in Pensacola would be gorgeous, but no, I got uh, the December January class. Yeah. Hey, me too. Hey. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so after you get qualified, you get your first unit. Um, we actually, you sent me this one right here, which is your very first rescue. I'm, I'm going to call this a rescue because that's what you guys, you ended up going to do, which is a super cool write up. But, and then man, you're going to have to give us a rundown of this. Cause this is, this is pretty awesome. All right. Yeah, man. Naval air force, United States Atlantic fleet. The Secretary of the Navy takes pleasure in presenting the Navy Achievement Medal to Aviation Welfare Systems Operator, Second Class Jason D. Vaughn, United States Navy, for services set forth in the following. Citation, for professional achievement in the superior performance of his duties as as the wet crewman on board H-60 Seahawk aircraft assigned to helicopter anti-submarine squadron Light 4-2, Detachment 3 embarked on the USS Lete Gulf on station for counter drug operations in the Caribbean Sea on 20 August 1993. Displaying exceptional courage and skill, Petty Officer Vaughn's efforts made it possible for the apprehension of eight Colombian detainees along with 150 pounds of marijuana during a futile attempt by the Colombian crew members to scuttle over 3.5 tons of contraband from their vessel. Acting immediately during threatening weather, Petty Officer Vaughn demonstrated great loyalty and dedication to the duty by entering the water and recovering this evidence to help ensure the drug bust was airtight. His exceptional presence of mind ensured the mission accomplishment without injury to himself or danger to the aircraft. Petty Officer Vaughn's exceptional professionalism Initiative and loyal devotion to duty reflect great credit upon himself, where in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Oh man, Jason, what's up? Marijuana and and Colombians yeah. and what? <laughs> this is your first yeah. SAR case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was so, you know, we joke, but it's uh, most of the, the search and rescue operations that are conducted um, really happen by the Coast Guard, by you guys, right? Yeah. The Coasties are the ones that pick up most. And especially when we're flying, you know, home guard and those kind of things, when we're actually at home and not deployed. So it's, it's not that often that the Navy gets to pick up and, and especially deploy a, uh, a rescue swimmer, right? Usually it's just, it just doesn't, there's people that'll go an entire 20 plus year career in the Navy as a swimmer and only do, you know, training jumps. Right. So, right. so anyway, so, so this one, uh, the crew was already out flying and, and they were tooling around kind of doing their thing. And, and by a crew, it's, it's two pilots and an air crewman and the air crewman happens to be a rescue swimmer normally. So, so they were already out tooling around and basically just doing visual identification of all the shipping that was in the area. So we, uh, you know, had radar and all the other equipment on board. So they were just going around marking contacts, right? And and so they come across this little, and it was a POS boat, piece of, you know what? Um, 
and it was it was bobbing through the Caribbean. So anyway, so they uh, they call back to get me, and uh, so they basically started jettisoning, you know, scuttling their uh, their actual. <laughs> basically, it was weed, um, and so they're throwing bail anyway. So so we we start the mission, and the mission is, and it's uh, I'm not sure about you guys because it's probably different in the Coast Guard, but in the Navy, you cannot deploy a swimmer for an inanimate object. If you know the object is not alive, then you cannot deploy a swimmer. You can ask the the swimmer if they will deploy for an inanimate object, but you cannot order them to deploy for an inanimate object. And that goes all the way through the, the... commander in chief, right? It's, it's written into our OPNAV 3710 that you cannot deploy a swimmer for an inanimate object. So basically my officer in charge came to me and said, uh, you know, will you deploy for an inanimate object? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll deploy. Right. You know, what are you talking about? Why, why wouldn't I deploy? Boring as hell around here. Yeah. I gotta go do something fun. So, so, so off we go. Uh, we come across the the boat and and there's just a trail of of bales behind this this little boat and they're just kind of bobbing around. So, so anyway, we uh, it's uh, I deployed three times that day. So the first time I went into the water, uh, you basically look around, you know, find a bale, go swimming for the bale, find it, grab it, you know, start swimming. They come in. You hook up, you know, basically your D-ring to the bail and off you go. So the first one was textbook, man. That one was just spot on. No, no big deal. Swam, got the bail. But there's time. And I think that's one thing that people don't realize is that there's, there's time that passes. This is not like you jump in the water 30 seconds later, you're back on the hook. You know, 30 seconds later, you're back in the cabin. And 30 seconds later, you're back in the water. There's, there's actual real time that passes. So the first one was pretty much textbook. Hit the water, grab the bale, back on the hook, back in the cabin. And now the cabin, these bales are, they say 150 pounds, I think, in the citation. And and technically speaking, dry, they were probably 150 pounds, but they've been floating in salt water. So they're now, it's like taking a bale of hay. Yeah, it's like taking a bale of hay, right? And just sinking it in water. And then saying, hey, pick it up. And and it's got this this cheap twine that's wrapped around it, and you're trying to. So, the second bail, probably not so textbook. But in this amount of time that had passed, and, and it it talks about the weather in here. So it was you know the Caribbean is one of those places where it can be a beautiful sunny day, and then just crap like 20 minutes later. And so the crap part started coming in, and so the sea state started changing. So I went in for the second bail and realized that I could not see the bales anymore. So I had to wait, basically wait for the, the crest, right, to come through. So I'm in, in a trough and you have to wait for a crest. You got to spin around really quick, find a bale and go swim for the bale. So we're up to probably three to five feet and, and eventually it's going to get five to seven as we're going through this. So, so the actual crest, right they're they're going above your head and you can't really see anymore and it's starting to kind of rain and and it's just getting crappy so second bail i got started you know hooking up to it and everything and and just as he pulled me out of the water the twine broke right so you know i'm back down into the water i'm grabbing the bail so now i've i've hooked up again 
and I'm kind of, I don't know, like hugging the bail slash, you know, whatever. So I get up into the cabin and now it's, it's starting to wear you out. Right. I mean, cause you're, you're in a crappy sea state, you're dragging this thing around that probably weighs a hundred plus pounds soaking wet and it doesn't move. So you're just, you know, like, anyway, I'm trying to refrain. Bet from you wish, I, you're probably wishing for a rescue basket right there. Go throw that out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't carry those yeah um hey uh navy um rescue basket yeah. i'm gonna throw that out there for you just <laughs> they have them collapsible now you can just stick them up against the wall oh, i know i know yeah, no we, we didn't have that so, so so now that all the water is in the cabin and everything and so the 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 dry crewman at the time, who was also a rescue swimmer, but he's the hoist operator. He, uh, he's asking me each time I come up, do you want to go again? And I'm like, so on the third one, he said, do you want to go again? And I said, I'll, I'll go one more. Right. So into the water I went and now the sea state's just crap. Like I said, it's probably seven foot swells and it's just getting nasty. And so I wait for the, you know, for the crest. I, I, again, I spin around, I find a bale, go for the bale, hook up and uh, waiting for them to come in. And, and, and this is where it gets kind of crappy, but it, so they came in and I had, I had hooked up to the hook and I'm coming out of the water and the hoist just, and it's that, you know it, if you've ever felt it, you know it. And you're, you're coming up and the hoist just goes like chunk. Yeah. And it's just got that. It's just not going anywhere. Right. I mean, it's like literally like it's, a, it's just letting you know that, Hey, the hoist isn't working. <laughs> so thir third try was not a charm. Oh. I'm now dangling below an H60 with a, a bale of weed attached to me. And, and this is where I, I will not, I'll never name names. That's horrible. But anyway, so I'm dangling. And every time a swell would come by, right? So I would basically get shocked from the static electricity. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and if, if, you, <laughs> if you've ever felt it, it's, it's a really, look it up. An H60 pumps out, I think, like 20,000 volts. Anyway, it's horrible. Yeah. So, and he has had a hoist failure up top, uh. right? So he's, he's up in the aircraft. And I'm looking up. Right. And, you know, you're just you, you're there. You're at the mercy of whatever's going on. I mean, you can get off the hook and, you know, figure you just float around. But anyway, so there's so many things going through my head, one of which is, please, God, just tell the pilot to come up. Right. Just, just a five foot man, five foot. And I would have been out of the swell. So I keep the swells keep coming by. I keep getting the, the you know what shocked out of me. And. So finally I look up and I see him and he takes the hoist pendant and he takes it and he just smashes it on the, uh, the floor of the helicopter. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm going up again. So I, I get up to the, get, get in the cab and I dump the bail and I'm, I'm now yelling at him. Right. Cause you're, you're, you basically, you're not on ICS. You're not, right, you don't right. have a helmet on. Nope. You're, so I'm yelling. <laughs> you know, in, in the back of an H60 yelling at him, you know, what in the hell happened? You know, what, why'd you just leave me hanging there? Why'd you leave me hanging, man? You know, um, so, so unbeknownst to me, I am as white as, as a ghost. Right. So I'm like, I've, and apparently, um, I can neither confirm nor deny this. I've got like just snot 
all over my face, you know, everywhere, just because I've been beat to shit down below. So anyway, um, <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, Jason. I do not mean to laugh at you. But this, this is very funny. <laughs> no, man. This is uh, this is the life of uh, a day in the life, right? Yeah, uh, right. So he uh, he's looking at me, and he knows that I'm a crap storm, right? I mean, every I've just been beat to hell. I've been in the water three times. I don't know how long time had passed, right? But it had been probably over 30 minutes at this point that we'd been on station doing this, and. The cabin's full of weed. One of the bales had broken. So there's like literally weed everywhere. There's weed in my wetsuit. There was weed in his flight suit. There's just <laughs> weed everywhere in the back of the aircraft. So so he he leans in and he goes, hey, um, and I, again, I won't name names, but he said, hey, so-and-so wants to know if you want to go again. <laughs> and and I looked at, I looked at him. And I, I, I just like Heismaned him and just threw him off to the side. And in an H60, you've got the tunnel that leads up to, you know, left and right seat for the pilot. And in this case, our aircraft commander was flying left seat. So normally in an aircraft, right in a helicopter, they'll fly right seat, but he was flying left. So I go up and uh, my recount is, is I gently grabbed his flight suit and <laughs> turned him toward me and said, uh, in not so many words, I don't think I'm going again. Um, it, it didn't come out like that um, again. <laughs> so unbeknownst to me, he, uh, he's, he had to turn away because he was laughing so hard. Right. Because again, I'm, I'm like covered in snot. I'm just pale white and everything else. So yeah. we, uh, at this point, he he actually called ahead and and we bustered back to the uh busters just beeline back to the uh to the ship who was in route to uh and technically we would have stayed flying but he knew uh i guess the the crewman had told him on on ics again i wasn't on the radios or anything at, at the time the inner uh communication system so but he had told him, he said, uh, hey, you know, we probably need to get him back to the boat and get him down to medical because uh, he said something about getting shocked. He looks like hell, you know, that kind of thing. So so remember, this is the day before my this is the day before my 22nd birthday. Right. Yeah. The ship, uh, the ship set flight quarters. We got back to the ship. We landed and uh, and the, the corpsman and everybody met me and they're like, yeah, come on, come with us. You need this. So. I laid on an EKG for, I don't know how long because they were afraid that, you know, because I got shot that my heart would do something crazy. But anyway, so I laid down medical for quite some time, but, but the, uh, the moral of the story is, is, Hey, it's okay to go in after inanimate objects. I probably should have stopped after number two, but I went for number three and that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> but, so don't, don't tempt fate, man. Just get what you get and, and get back. But, but anyway, that's that is how that one ended is me laying on an EKG and a drug waiver in my service record because we were covered in weed and they were afraid that if we, you know, uh, tested at some point that we may not pass. But yeah, uh, right. So good times. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden the cabin door comes closed and everybody's like, wow, it really reeks in here right now. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, funny. There, there really was there was weed everywhere. So it's it it a good time. Oh, Jason, that is hilarious, man! I'm glad that one worked out. The fact that you have pilots laughing yeah. at you too—that just makes it even better. Oh, he was—he was 
I mean, let's, you, you've obviously done this for, for quite some time and, and you uh, get very tight knit with the crews that you play oh, yeah. with. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's no punches pulled, right? Everybody gets what they get and, and then you just become part of the crew and, and it's a lot of fun, but yeah. but yeah, they were, they were literally laughing to the point that they had to turn away from me because they didn't <laughs> want to laugh like right in my face. So. <laughs> oh, what a great first case. So rescue. Now I did, you know, the award actually mentioned something about, uh, let me actually go back to it real quick. Um, it was talking about eight, uh, eight members or eight, eight people that were picked up. Yeah. Eight Colombian detainees. So did the ship go back and end up getting those guys off that and detaining them? They, they did. They, uh, they ended up actually, uh, detaining, the the colombians that were running the drugs to the u.s yeah. uh, i think it says three three and a half tons uh, we were kind of uh, well again i was in medical so hell i didn't know what they were doing all i heard them was them scuttling the uh the boat after uh everything was said and done but yeah we uh when we do drug ops and people may or may not know this i don't know but we travel with uh lead debts from the coast guard law enforcement debts right so when uh when we're boarding and that's not just in the caribbean that's that's really anywhere we had a lead that over in the red sea we had a lead that in the adriatic so we travel with coast guard because they're able to actually physically board other vessels and those types of things whereas the u.s the u.s navy cannot so so the lead that took over and they basically uh boarded their boat and got everything that they got got the eight people and uh that was it I mean, we, that, we offloaded them at a, at a later time, but, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty decent, uh, drug bust. I mean, you know, it's, but I don't know. It was weed. We were really hoping for something more, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, damn it. It's just weed. Oh, that's terrible. That's yeah. very funny. The, the, um, the pitfall. So you're, you're very accurate with that. And a lot of people actually don't know that the Navy, um, has a coast guard, individual on board so you can board vessels and whatnot and uh, for everybody out there don't quote me on this i'm sorry even saying it right now but i don't even care but if i understand it correctly if the navy were to board it directly without having a coast guard on board or without raising the coast guard flag it's like in an act of war or something because it's not peacekeeping service blah 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 it's 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 different it's under a different article in the convention something like that I was going to say, yeah, world worldwide rules is that the uh, the United States Navy cannot. Yeah, I mean, it would be an act of, of like wartime type yeah. boarding. But that's why we carry yeah leadettes from the Coast Guard is because that's considered maritime. Yeah. So which is always fun to have that, you know, like Coast Guard goes down. You got a bunch of Navy guys behind you with like big old guns and stuff. They're like, what? Say what again? Yeah, exactly. No, it was, man, that was some of the best guys we met. And, uh, and we flew with some of them, the, the lead deck guys, and, uh, we'd take them out and go do, I mean, actually we took them on a F-16 crash up in the Adriatic because we needed another set of eyes in the back of the aircraft. So we took wow. the, the Coast Guard guy with us. Oh, very oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Speaking of Adriatic Sea, uh, that's the next one that you sent me. So, <laughs> Hey, I'm all about getting right into that. If you're up for it. Yeah, man. Go for it. All right, here we go. Here's the write-up. Naval Air Force, United States Atlantic Fleet. The Secretary of the Navy takes pleasure in presenting the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, 
Gold Star in lieu of third to AW Aviation Warfare Systems Operator, second class, Jason D. Vaughn, United States Navy. For service set forth the following. Citation, for professional achievement in the superior performance of his duties as proud warrior 426 SAR Air Crewman and Helicopter Anti-Submarine Squadron Light 42 on 25 January 1995. Pedestrian Vaughn performed his demanding duties in exemplary and highly professional manner. During the ASW exercise in the Adriatic Sea, he identified a transiting speedboat as having gone dead in the water. With the seamless transition to rescue doctrine, he assisted the flight station in investigating, concluded that the boat was rapidly sinking from a two-foot-long hole at the waterline. He prepared for a pickup of the rescue swimmer while marking the position of the vessel. Returning to the sinking craft, the survivors were found frantically jettisoning the boat's cargo. Immediately and precisely directing the helicopter to optimal position, he deployed the rescue swimmer and gave timely inputs while hoisting the swimmer and the survivors. His resourcefulness and accurate directions were invaluable in executing a textbook rescue of all three survivors. Pedestrian Vaughn's exceptional professionalism and loyal devotion to duty reflected credit upon himself and while keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Jason, dude, this is awesome. Three guys, Adriatic Sea, sinking boat, freaking badass. I'm going to say, so you see a theme here is that all of my <clears throat> rescues involve people throwing stuff overboard. So, and I'm not sure. <laughs> It's got to have something to do with throwing snow. So, so this was back uh, when the whole Bosnia, um, Herzegovina, right? Yugoslavia breakup and, and all of that back in the mid nineties. I think it was like 92 to 95, but, but anyway, so we were on station in the Adriatic. And again, uh, you're normally there just monitoring shipping traffic and just burning holes in the sky to, you know, we would occasionally do, join ops with the army or somebody that was, you know, crossing the, the crossing the land and, you know, going in. But, but generally speaking, we were just there monitoring shipping to see if there was anything crazy going on. But in the Adriatic, it's about 80 miles wide from Italy to uh, what was back then Yugoslavia. So they would take these, you know, roughly probably about 30 foot uh, cigarette boats Right, the, you know, just nothing but people, fuel, engines, and cigarettes. Literally, cigarette cartons of cigarettes, and they would run them from Italy to Yugoslavia. So they were basically <laughs> black market selling, selling cigarettes. And you know, it wouldn't take them that long. They they'd roll across the uh, the Adriatic at you know forty forty two knots. So they were, you know, humping across the Adriatic and they'd make it in a couple of hours, drop off the cigarettes, you know, get the money and, and then hump it back. And so we were out, we were actually, this is what we were talking about, I think, early before we started the podcast was that we were actually out playing ASW, anti-submarine warfare activities, right? So we were out there hunting subs and just kind of playing around. It was, it was just training exercise, wasn't anything, uh, anything actual, you know, mission oriented, but so we're out there doing ASW and kind of playing around and I don't know, we were still monitoring shipping traffic and 
we came across this this boat that it, they're just fiberglass boats, man. I mean, they're they're nothing you know fancy special, but but they're quick and they get the job done. But anyway, these guys uh, had hit something in the water at 42 knots, Ooh. right? So, and you hit something at 42 knots with a fiberglass boat, and it tends to uh, not end well. So they ripped a hole down in the uh, right at the water line, and so they're you know they're waving and and everything, and they're kind of starting to throw their their stuff overboard. We we knew what it was. It was cigarettes, and I guess they felt that. You know, the U.S. Navy actually cared that they were throwing sugar. But anyway, <laughs> so it was uh, it was three three guys, three Italian guys, and so we we busted back to the ship, picked up the rescue swimmer. So I was now flipped over, and I was acting as a uh, a hoist operator, uh, a drag crewman. So, and it was cold. Uh, you know, it's winter over there, just like it's winter here, and uh, you know, January is cold, so it's full wetsuit, and we uh. We got got back on station, and their little boat was just kind of hanging on by a thread. And uh, so <clears throat> we got in and uh, deployed the swimmer. And again, no names mentioned. Loved the guy who was my junior crewman when we were deployed. And uh, so the last thing he said to me is, he goes, "Damn it, I got to get him off the boat, right?" So I gave him the uh, the three taps, and out the door he went. Nice. So three taps, free he, fall. He, yeah, that's it, man. Uh, you know, three taps away he goes, and uh, he's he's swimming toward the boat, and I see him, and he's he's waving at the guy, right? You know, because he wants them to get in the water. He doesn't want to deal with a sinking boat and all that kind of crap. So, yeah. so he's waving, so the guys won't jump in the water. So finally, he uh, he swam close enough to the boat, and and the boat's already you know basically. It's not underwater yet. They're still standing above the water. But anyway, so the guy leans down because the, the swimmer's yelling at him and he grabs him and he just throws him over it, right? So he like literally throws him over the top of him. He lands in the water behind him and he's grabbing the other guys and he's throwing them in. So, so he, he starts, you know, we're bringing him up, right? We've got three guys and a swimmer in the water. So we got four total in the water and we're cycling through, bringing everybody up and, uh, so we get the, the last guy in and they're in these like orange, reddish orange. They're, they're not dry suits, but they're, they're like winter, almost like, like a ski suit. Right. You know, yeah, like yeah. it's a, yeah. I'm trying to think of what you call it. Um, Is it coveralls, a big, like, right? oh, like coveralls. The, okay. Yep. Yeah. Like the thick padded coveralls that, you know, zip up the front, but they, but they look like these guys weigh like. Are you talking like a Gumby right? suit? They're, they're, it's, yeah, it's kind of like that. Exactly. They're the, okay. they're the foul weather. Yeah. They're just not dry suits, right? They're yeah. not actually a dry suit that has. Yeah. So, so anyways, get them all up in the aircraft and they, uh, they unzip these things and they're, they're handing us cartons of cigarettes. Like they're paying for the ride that they're about to get right. You know, back to the ship. So, so it was, uh, that was pretty interesting, man. I mean, it was that honestly, when, when it said textbook, that really was textbook. It was, you know, we came back on station, deployed the swimmer, everything. I'm sure the swimmer would probably have a couple different arguments on that because it was cold and the guys wouldn't get off the boat. But, <laughs> but generally speaking, you know, that's about as textbook as you get. I think when you go through school, you hear about these, right? You know, you're just yeah. like, bang, bang, bang. You're pulling, pulling three guys out of the water. They're not really fighting you. 
you know, there's just, they're willing to get on the hoist. They're cold, they're wet. They want to go home, whatever. So, so that being said, we, uh, we got them, took them back to the ship and and then they were taken back to Italy. I mean, again, it's just a short flight into Italy, but so that was, uh, that was the one in the Adriatic. That was, like I said, textbook, a lot of fun. It was the, uh, the first time that I really got to real world, uh, you know, run the hoist and, you know, other than doing, like drops the submarines and that kind of stuff. But yeah. it was the first time that, you know, really, really got to deploy the swimmer as a, uh, as a dry crew. And so it was a lot of fun, man. That's awesome. I, I love the fact that you have, you have experience on both sides. Like you had, I know it's picking up weed, but you were, you were deployed in the water, which is awesome. And now you're the dry guy doing all the hoisting, pulling up cigarettes. Uh, at least you went the other direction. Was it illegal contraband? <laughs> right. Right. This is, this was just cigarettes. I'm sure that there was some law against it, but you know, they were making tons of money running, running stuff back and forth, but definitely not illegal in any way, shape and form, but, oh, that's but still a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, well done. Hey, you saved three guys from, from drowning. So that's bonus. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the best, best part of, I think this job in general is just knowing that, you know, you did have impact on somebody's life out there. Obviously not in the weed scenario, but, you know, what we did pull off in the Adriatic was yeah. pretty cool. No, oh, that's awesome. Um, now, we're going to go a little bit further because you have a, kind of a semi-wildlife area. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how to classify this. It's wildlife, but it's it's not really wildlife. It's uh <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think I told you early that, uh, you know, I had kind of like a, a cherry on top story. So, again, I, I got to do a lot of fun things, and, and it was definitely the best nine years of my life that I, I got to do. But anyway, I, when I got home off my second deployment, which was the one in the Adriatic, and I uh, got home in 95 and rolled over to shore duty. So, basically, you're just kind of flying a desk, working in operations, running flight schedules, whatever. And so, I was on uh, – we stand SAR duty out at Mayport. So we would basically back up the Coast Guard. And uh, so you had primary SAR, secondary SAR. And if you're primary SAR, you were actually at the squadron. I mean, you were, you know, basically ready to go in uh, in 30 minutes launch. So, so we're hanging out. We're primary SAR for the day. And we get a call. I don't even know who the call came in, but it came into the squadron, how they got our squadron's phone number. No flipping idea. But so they called into the squadron and they said, Hey, uh, so this is Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the squadrons were out at Mayport, Florida, uh, which is just out, you know, it's just east of, of Jacksonville. And just north of that is a place called Talbot Island. And you'll hear them talk about uh, Talbot Island State Park, Little Talbot, uh, Big Talbot. But anyway, so a bunch of whales, I think they were pilot whales, had beached themselves at Talbot Island State Park. And the phone call that came in was, can you guys come and hoist a whale to a truck so that we can perform? And like I said, I think it's, isn't it called a necropsy? I can't remember what they call it. I think it's necropsy or something like that. But it's basically an autopsy on a, on a whale. It, but they, they wanted to truck it down to like Marine Land or SeaWorld or whatever. So, you know, an hour or two hours south here. They wanted to truck it down so they could do an autopsy to find out why these whales had beached themselves because there was there were several whales so suddenly there was so much chatter in the squadron because this is you know, come on 
How many times do you get a phone call, right? I don't care what SAR duty you're standing, where you're at in the world, you don't get phone calls that ask you to go hoist a whale. It just, it's a, it's no. never flipping happen. So, so we're basically, like I said, we're primary SAR. So me and the other, other crewmen, we're just, we're waiting, right? We're like, hell yeah, let's go do this, right? How many, how many times in your life can you say I hoisted a whale? So after, I don't know how many, we, we ended up having to go through the Commodore and I think they might've even called Mather. I'm not sure who the hell they called, but um, so finally we get approval to go out and get this whale. So there's a ground crew, all, all rescue swimmers that go out to where these whales had beached themselves and they take a cargo net and a cargo pendant. So on the H60, the H60 Bravo, underneath we've got a cargo hook and we can carry you know thousands of pounds underneath the aircraft. Um, and we call it vertical replenishment, uh, cargo ops, whatever you want to call it. But it's basically just hoisting stuff around with the cargo hook underneath. So it's not necessarily the rescue hook. It's the yeah. one underneath, right? It's the right. cargo hook. So you hook. do it uh, long and, line, short haul, all sorts of different names yeah. for it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep, exactly. So, so they went to the beach and they somehow, I, no knowledge of how they did this really because we were – basically flying and, and getting ready to uh, to come in and pick it up. But they had rolled this dead whale in the sand um, over enough that they could get a cargo net underneath it, right? So that you can basically wrap it up in a cargo net. And then you've got the, the cargo pendant that hooks to the net and that hooks to the cargo hook of the helicopter. So, <laughs> so anyway, so we came in and we hooked up. And, uh, and you'd be surprised at first at how aerodynamic a uh, whale can be in the air once you get it into the slipstream, right? So you get it basically nose forward, yeah. and, uh, and they will, they'll fly. So we flew uh, several miles back to uh, actually the, the state park that was there, and they, they really did. They had a, a flatbed 18-wheeler, and we put the whale on the back of this, literally just dropped it right on the 18-wheeler, and they strapped it down and off they went to, uh, to do the autopsy beat. The funny thing was, and I, and I searched for this, Jason, but I, I think it's, I'd have to probably reach out to the news agency. Me and the other crewmen, when we were basically bringing the whale in, we made the local news here in Jacksonville. So they had a news crew out there and, and it was all, you know, me and him in the door and, and he and I, I mean, we're just dying because again, you don't get to do vert rep with whales. It just, it just never happened. So so, but it was, it was one, one, he and I laughed about that and, and probably to this day would still share a beer and, and just crack up over it. So it was, it was a hell of a story. But there were so many people involved in that. I don't know how many people went out to the beach to roll that whale. It was probably 20 guys out there oh that, my uh, God. that went from the squadron. So, so it's flipping cool, man. So, but that is my, uh, that is my storied history of, of comedy relief and, uh, and all the fun things that I got to do. Jason, these are awesome. I am so thankful you came on to, to share these. They're hilarious. Like, I, you know, it's it's interesting because you know, like we don't. I don't actually. I, I'm going to say I. I I don't hear much about what you guys did in the Navy as far as search and rescue. The majority of the stories I hear are very uh, seldom. Like, just they, they're not there, and or they happen, but we don't. They never get back to me or us. So there's very few and far between. There's I was going to say back to my earlier comment is, you know, a lot of there, we go 
which y'all's y'all's training now is uh, more involved than ours is because we're still running a i think it's a five-week program now it was it was four and you had a week or two of what they called build up so basically you're just running and swimming every day but i i did uh, i did about four weeks and two days so four weeks was the actual program but honestly once you hit the fleet like i said unless something catastrophic happens how many rescues do you get, you know, in the middle of the Mediterranean, the middle of right. the, uh, you know, Red Sea, the middle of, you know, wherever you're at the Gulf. Um, it's just not, we, we do a lot of medevacs, right. We're, we're usually, uh, you know, ferrying people that are, you know, sick or, or something along those lines. At one point we had to, to take our XO into Saudi Arabia, you know, and, and drop him off. And, uh, you know, we play Holy Hilo on Sunday and fly the chaplain around to the various different battle group ships. But when it, but you know, there's guys that I know. Uh, if if you go back to the Surf City, and that was those geez, I'm trying to think. That was late '80s, early '90s, and I don't know how many rescues he got out of that. He uh, 20, 30, I'm not sure. It was a sinking ship. It was the water was burning. I mean, it was one of those hell and damnation kind of, yeah, it was, it was a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, basically catastrophe that, that he was involved in, uh, from a rescue swimmer standpoint. So they're, they're out there. They're just not nearly as prevalent. You guys are doing it day in and day out, right? The Coast Guard's just there. And, and, and primarily because you're doing a lot on the coast of the United States, right? right. And you always, you always right. have boats that are sinking. You always have stupid people that go out in the surf and then they end up, you know, a mile out yep. and that kind of stuff. Whereas we're not doing, you know, we're basically confined to open waters and there's just, you know, unless somebody falls off a ship, you're not generally doing a whole lot of it. Right. Or uh, downed aviators would be another one if you got a pilot's got to eject and stuff. And so I know there was a lot of that training yeah. down there. Yeah. So yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, the plane, plane, plane guard guys off the carriers uh, tend to, they're the ones that are flying starboard delta. And basically during flight ops, you've always got a, a, helico- a rescue helicopter, right, doing doing circles. Yep. And uh, and that's for that very reason, right? Anybody crashes coming in, crashes going out, that kind of thing, ejections yeah. and everything. So, wow. yeah. Dang, man. Well, I'll tell you what, if there's any advice that you would give to any of the younger guys that are either out there right now doing the job or – or just something you want to pass along, man, that the floor is open to you. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, like I said, I've, I've watched a lot of your, or listened to a lot of your podcasts, Jason, and the, uh, I don't know. I think there's, there's always a common theme that nothing is going to go the way that you trained for it to go. Right. Is you, you train and you train and you train and you train and you just beat the crap out of each other training and then you go out there and the real world happens and the real world <laughs> never, never ends up like you, you know, thought it was going to be. And, Not uh, side and, of your face. You know, no matter. Weed falling on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to yeah, it's just nothing <laughs> ever works. Um, you know, we, we train and I'm sure, you know, your, your guys that are doing the, the hoist operating and stuff, you, you train for things to fail. Right. And then there's fail safes in place, right? You've got backup. The pilot can run the hoist. You can run the hoist. You've got backup power. Yeah, all these things that you can do if the primary means, but you don't train it when the cabin is full of water and weed and, you know, there's just things everywhere. And so, you know, when your hoist pendant uh, fouls out, shorts out, whatever you want to call it, it's just, again, 
you know, the one was textbook. We flew in, we deployed, we got, we, you know, got back in, we left, life was grand. And, and those are few and far between. It's usually more like the other one, which is, you know, you start out and it's a, a beautiful day and it ends up with rain and seven foot swells. And, yeah. you know, you're trying to, uh, to haul weed into an aircraft or, or, you know, or possibly people, but, but yeah, I think it's just train outside the box, man. It's yeah. uh think of things that, that can go wrong because, you know, I don't know training nowadays. I'm not sure where it's at, right. I've been out for quite some time, but I'm sure that, that there's a lot of lessons learned from old guys like me that, uh, <laughs> that have been around the block, you know, but it's like us, <laughs> sure there's like us, I got to put myself into this. This is ridiculous. We've been doing like 20 years. Come on. I'm, a, I'm, one of, I'm that I, guy now. I mean, come on. I know, man. So, it, it, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe, but I think I'm coming up on, it'll be uh, another few years and I'll be out 30 years, right? So it's just crazy. For how many? I joined you'll, when I was you'll, you'll be out for how many years? I got out in 98, right? So it'll be, oh my uh, goodness. we're 2022, man. I'm out 22 years, 20, whatever. Yeah. So 24 years. Dang. Crazy. Anyway, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, my, my, you know, my, I guess, words of wisdom advice or whatever is that, uh, just, you know, a stick with it. B, uh, sometimes it's going to hurt and C is, just keep thinking of things that can fail so that you, uh, you go through those scenarios and, and try to work through, you know, what happens. Cause the, the crewman that I had was a new rescue swimmer and he was new to helicopters. Although he was senior to me in rank, he was, uh, he had crossed over from fixed wing and, you know, him running the hoist, just, there's so many things going through your head, right? You've got a swimmer in the water. You've got bags of weed next to so you got water everywhere. You got a pilot yelling at you in the, you know, the ICS and your hoist fails. Yeah. Right. And, and no matter how many times, no matter how many times you work through that in your head, you've got now, you know, 37 more things that are going through your head and, you know, something simple like, Hey, uh, can you come up, you know, five foot, 10 foot, whatever it is, just so I can work through this problem while not shocking my swimmer would be kind of cool. But, but anyway, yeah, just, uh, just keep, <laughs> Oh, thinking geez, of things that uh yeah just keep thinking of things that you can train through and by god train through them so anyway man dude that is awesome jason i cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing these stories with me it has been an absolute pleasure to have you i i look forward to the day that i can get to florida and hang out with you kick back and and yeah you know, even tell more i i'm all about it <laughs> Oh, yeah. Now, anytime you get around here, let me know, man. I'll buy you a beer. Oh, not if I buy away first. Come on. <laughs> there you go. Buddy, I will, uh, I'll call you later. I, I promise. This is awesome. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Take care. All right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to 
Jason at therealrescue.com. That's Jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>